The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. To another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3. Well, okay. The Dashing Smugglers 2. Ken is still out. Uh, hibernation sickness went to Ewokian flu bug. Uh, he shouldn't have been out wrestling with the Ewoks. Just saying. Um, it is Derek and myself, Mike. And joining us this week, you may have seen him on U- Disney Park Logs YouTube channel. May have seen him walking around Batu or in a certain shop in Batu. And we'll see about discussing that. You may have seen him at New York Comic Con or Star Wars Celebration. Uh, comedian, actor, good friend of mine, Mark Daniels. Mark Daniel. Why do I keep putting the S on it? It's Mark <laughs> Daniel. Also, too, very big into Predator. And we'll we'll talk that as well because I remember many conversations we've had about Predator as well. Uh, how's everyone doing tonight? Good, good, good. Thank you very much, Mike. Hello, Derek. And uh, get well soon, Ken. <laughs> Um, so I guess to start, you do a lot of work with Read Pop with Celebration, New York Comic Con, uh, C2E2 as well, or is yes, it I much- covered C2E2 is uh, usually done uh, by uh, Ruben. He's the one who hosts usually for C2E2. So one year uh, he couldn't do it, so I covered it. Uh, so my main uh, work uh, is really Star Wars Celebration. New York Comic Con, and then we did Keystone uh, Comic Con uh, okay. once, which was a lot of fun. So, how did you get involved with Repop and Celebration? Oh my goodness! Uh, I got involved with Celebration when it first came to Orlando uh, so many years ago. <laughs> Star Wars Celebration, C5. Orlando. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. And so I got involved because um, Mark Rimfrow was the director of the main stage uh, event at Star Wars Celebration Orlando. But Mark Rimfrow worked with Lucasfilm and Disney before that doing Star Wars Weekends. And Star Wars Weekends would usually have what they called at the time a main show. 
Um, and um, so Mark Renfro would usually direct that main show. I worked with, but I wasn't a part of the main show when Star Wars Celebration, when Star Wars um, Weekends was happening. But I was part of one of Mark Renfro, Renfro's show. Uh, it was called The American Idol Experience, and I did the, the warm-up for that show. Um, so when that show was happening, um, Mark wanted to use my talents as a warm-up host for Star Wars Celebration because this version of Star Wars Celebration was a little bit different. They wanted it to be a, a, a real celebration in the sense of like a party atmosphere. Um, and I think if you remember, if you look at that year's um, lanyards, there was like confetti, but the confetti was the rebel symbol and the cog from the imperial symbol. And they were uh, falling like confetti. That was, see, that was Celebration 6. Mm. So that's the first one. That's the that's the one. So they had like confetti coming now. So they, yeah, I yeah. believe I might be wrong. That's not the first Orlando Celebration? No. The first, the confetti? The first Orlando Celebration. Um, was, was it just the characters in cartoon? I believe so. I'm trying to find Yeah, I'm out, they're in the garage. I can run get them, but... <laughs> Uh, I can't talk about them. Yeah. Uh, well, they because yeah, I know they, they had the cartoon ones. They were the cartoon. They weren't the. They were cartoon ish because mm-hmm. uh, Boba Fett was the main character for the logo. Got you. Oh, you're right. You know yeah. what? You are 100 percent right. You are uh, correct. I am completely wrong. He was the main character. Yeah. Yes. So so it was kind of. Um, I have a picture on my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, they were more cartoonish ones. Was uh, yeah, they were kind of artistic, slightly cartoonish. Um, the ones with the confetti was 2012 Celebration Six. Gotcha. Okay. And then so twenty six, and then twenty seven. Was the um, where it was like a sepia tone sketch card? Yeah, okay, man, you're good. <laughs> yes, yeah, they're coming back to me now. And I do remember, I think the first one is when they did the also the postcards where they had yeah. like all the characters on an airboat, they did the full Florida postcard. Yeah. Well, um, welcome, and, and uh, welcome Boba to Fett's you. ship was on like instead of the space shuttle, it was Boba Fett's ship going up at Cape Canaveral. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. I wish I, I, but, wish I got that poster. That was a great yeah, looking poster. It was a good poster. Yeah. But, uh, to go back to what I was saying, uh, I was incorrect in the style of lanyard, but there was a party atmosphere and he wanted oh, yeah. that to be, uh, the encouragement and wanted to entertain people as they waited for the main stage show. So that's when he actually created my role at the main stage and he also added a dj which everyone knows now dj elliot or the star wars dj um put us together and from then on we've just been doing a celebration and that moved from celebration to new york comic-con onto c2e2 with ruben and um a lot of the other read pop cons but that was my first introduction to read pop was through the first star wars celebration okay awesome eric you got an opening question not yet, no. Okay, then I'll keep going. Mm-hmm. You, you know, just interrupt me anytime, Derek. Oh, I will. <laughs> um, now, I guess let's go back. What what had you done with um, Star Wars Weekends? Because I know you were around during that heyday. Exactly, yeah. Um, with Star Wars Weekends, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the first ever Star Wars Weekends at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I was uh, Back then, I was in the, in the entertainment department. And uh, I was able to be a part of the first ever Star Wars weekends. Um, and what a blast that was. Um, yeah. I remember the the costumes we had for Star Wars weekends came directly from Japan. Apparently, there was a stunt show in Japan. It was a Star Wars stunt show. And uh, that's where we got most of the costumes from for the first ever Star Wars weekends. But, of course, when they got the costumes, Disney creative costuming had to... Um, 
really bring the costumes up to standard because of, after all, they were stunt costumes. Right. Um, so they looked a lot different. So they Disney did their best with those costumes for the first Star Wars weekends to bring them up to movie quality uh, level and um, adjust them from being stunt costumes to make them more screen accurate and different things like that so they could present them to the guests. Okay. Well, before we go any further, you've been with Walt Disney World for how long? I've been from... I've been... <clears throat> Well, let me let me put it this way. First of all, I, while I was working at Walt Disney World, I was still in high school. So I've been at Disney for about 27 plus years. Wow. I didn't realize I was that close to you. I, uh, I hit 24 years in February. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah. so this coming February will be 24. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great experience. A yes, lot of people go, man, that's a long time to be at Disney. But Mike, you know, at Disney, oh, yeah. there are so many different things you can do. And I've learned so much. You know, I've, I've you know, worked. <laughs> In a, an eclectic mix of, of of roles at Walt Disney World. Luckily, I've been in, in, in entertainment, but even in entertainment, I've done so many things, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I've been very lucky and fortunate. For me, I'm still in entertainment, and mm-hmm. I have just recently, I'm waiting for my um, my interview, but I have mm-hmm. applied for the audio crew chief position for the Halcyon. Oh, wow. For, wow. for the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Yes. Uh, but I have also uh, let powers that be entertainment management-wise know that even if I don't get the position, I'm interested in being part of that crew, so uh-huh. I may be uh, leaving Epcot and heading that way. Fingers right, crossed. Maybe leaving going to a galaxy far far, far away. away Mike, good luck Which good luck great. my friend be great it's a big undertaking it's it's exciting yes it's uh, never been done before at the level they're doing it so um you know, we're very excited to see that come online and see what surprises they have up their sleeves. So that's exciting. Um, so it is safe to say in the beginning, you were very close friends to Chewbacca. Very close, very close. Chewbacca and I were good friends. <laughs> so uh, got to preserve that magic. Got to. And you know, we still work there. We got to preserve that yeah, magic. Yeah. Um, how long did you work side by side with, with Chewie? Um. I worked with Chewie side by side probably for a good seven years. Um, yeah, um, yeah, a good seven years and also two uh, while um, Star Wars Weekends was going on as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, seven years, good friends with Chewbacca. Um, and my pathway with Star Wars Weekends, I'm very proud to say I started the first ever Star Wars Weekends. And I did the last ever Star Wars Weekends. And I went from uh, performing in entertainment with Star Wars Weekends to actually being the understudy for James Arnold Taylor uh, at the final Star Wars Weekends. Of course, we didn't know that was the final Star Wars Weekends. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, because, you know, we would have um, cherished it a little bit more. But uh, yeah, um, so just in case if James Arnold Taylor would lose his voice, they had a, an amazing end of the night fireworks spectacular hosted by james arnold taylor and uh, i learned that show as well just in case he was not able to do it um i had the um possibility and the opportunity to be his understudy so i was very uh, very right. proud of that you see behind me mm-hmm. <laughs> 2004 yeah. star wars weekend wow. poster oh wow i don't think i've ever seen that not that big anyway yeah it was one that picked it up at proper troll after that mm-hmm. um and it my favorite artwork uh, of the original film is the E poster. Love it. So, how did you go from being, um, I guess we could say, character depart to mm-hmm. going equity? Mm-hmm. That's a big jump. It is a big jump. Uh, thanks for asking. It is a jump that not many people have done. 
uh, especially when I did it, um, there wasn't a lot of people jumping from uh, the entertainment uh, department into a role of equity. It has been done before, but uh, it wasn't something that was done a lot. So I got the opportunity to audition for equity at the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, they were looking for younger actors. They were looking for uh, Dinoland grad students. So they wanted like okay. kids yeah. that looked like they were going to college. Um, so that opened up the door for me. Animal Kingdom was opening at the time. And in the, in the entertainment department, I had a role at, um, I was actually going to move from, I was at the time I was working at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I was actually going to go to Animal Kingdom and uh, be a puppeteer because I was also a puppeteer. And I was going to be a puppeteer for the Jungle Book show live on oh, stage. Yeah. See, we just know. we just missed each other. When I came in oh, in yeah. IDA, I was at studios. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, okay. So when I came in, I was backfilling technicians mm-hmm. who were going to Animal Kingdom. Gotcha, because there was a lot of yep. – it's like the Halcyon now. There was a lot of people going to that new park yep. at that time. Because being part of an opening team for a park is – I mean, It's, it's, it's a dream. Amaz- it's, yeah. yeah, it's a dream. It's amazing. Um, so I came in probably as you were, had already transferred over getting ready to start rehearsals. Mm. And I remember jungle book and that trampoline on the front thrust. <laughs> <laughs> that, that yes. Was... Now I never made it into the show. Um, uh, and I'll tell you why that happened. But, uh, originally I'll tell you, I actually auditioned for Baloo. Now Ooh. Baloo was a singing role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in entertainment, so I was very, also very familiar with Baloo. So I said, you know what? Baloo, it's a pretty easy song, Bear Necessities. It's in my register. I can do this. Um, and I went to audition for Baloo as the singer, and it didn't go well. Let's just say that, right? But they were very nice about it. It didn't go well. And then I auditioned again as a puppeteer. So I was heading over there, there to be a puppeteer. But at the same time, I also auditioned to uh, for an acting role as a Dinoland grad student. And um, I got the call that uh, instead of me going over to do Jungle Book, I would do um, the Dinoland grad student as an actor. And I, I was just beside myself. I still remember that call saying, hey, we want to offer you the role of a Dinoland grad student. And uh, I was so happy. So I left entertainment uh, in um, 1999. Animal Kingdom opened in 2000, 2001. Mm, no. It opened in 1999. It opened no, in... 98. 98. Yes, 98. April 22nd, uh, 19, I'm getting old. birthday, 98. Because, because when Animal Kingdom hits 25, that'll be when I hit 25 years with company myself. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm married with Animal Kingdom on that. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying dates now because I'm off. But, um, <laughs> and what was unique about learning um, the Dinoland grad student, they wanted us to become, um, they wanted us to have the real experience as a paleontologist, right? right. So they, were, it was, they casted us and, and it was me and one more person from characters, a good friend of mine, his name was Glenn Panic, and he worked in entertainment along with myself. And we went to, uh, we got the part and we went to training. They were going to send us to Gainesville to do micro paleontology. Oh, wow. Uh, because, uh, of course, there's no dinosaurs in Florida, no dinosaur bones, because Florida is so, as far as the continent goes, it's very young and it's, uh, you know, it was a seabed. So there's no dinosaur bones in Florida. So we were going to go learn about microbiology. Um, um, uh, marine, sorry, marine biology, marine microbiology. And, uh, but then they ended up sending us to Canada, to uh, Alberta, Canada. And we actually got to spend time with um, Dr. Phil Curry, who was a, a well-renowned paleontologist. Oh, wow. And we got to go in the field and uh, 
look at dinosaur bones, um, go back to the uh, museum, the Royal Tyrrell Museum, and actually dig dinosaur bones out of their, what they call field jackets. Uh, and so that's why when they find a bone in the field, they dig some of it up, but then they take most of the rock off and they put it in, a, in plaster and they take that back to the lab. And that's what they work on. So we got to work on those things. And uh, we spent time learning about dinosaurs and um, came back about three weeks later and uh, started rehearsing to do uh, our show in Dinoland. And we were called the Dinoland grad students. So during rehearsals, how many times did y'all have to fix the script and be more accurate to what y'all learned? and not what script writers put in there because they thought they knew. Oh, you know what was amazing about it is that you have a good point. The scripts weren't really created, and Mark Renfro and uh, I forget who the writer was, but the scripts were more um, linear, and we really took, like, um, from, uh, we had dinosaur books, so uh, it wasn't like a writer really just writing about dinosaurs. It was more like the script that we put in the dinosaurs we wanted. But to your point, uh, the facts about dinosaurs are always changing, which is amazing. So during our uh, tenure as Dandelion grad students, we actually had to change some of the things we were saying that were incorrect. Um, mm-hmm. Even in the script, in, in the early script, we talked about a dinosaur called a brontosaurus. And uh, technically, a brontosaurus does not exist because it's two dinosaurs they accidentally put together, which is a camerasaur and an apatosaurus, I believe. But uh, So it's a dinosaur that's been mixed up. So there is actually no real dinosaur called a brontosaurus, even though it's the most famous dinosaur ever. It has to exist. They might have actually changed that again recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I've been out of the game. Brontosaurus, they they brought back the brontosaurus. Um, well, there's historical films on it. It's called the Flintstones. No, but they they <laughs> those burgers. They recently <laughs> they recently re re uh, examined it and they discovered there was actually there is actually a brontosaurus now. Wow. At least now, I mean that could change again. But when I was wow. when I was a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist. So I, I mean, I still love dinosaurs, but so I'm very jealous uh, of uh, the experiences you got to have there. That sounds awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. And what we got, one of the most memorable memorable things I got to see at the World's Royal Museum was um, the actual Archaeopteryx, which was discovered in China. And Phil Curry was part of that team. And when they opened it up, you can see it's like, you know, uh, this little bird that looks like a dinosaur. And you can see the feathered outline and it has teeth and claws. Wow. And, it has, and that was pretty mind-blowing awesome. to watch this creature. Uh, and you see it, you're like, it has teeth, and you can see where the feathers were, and uh, it's this little creature. <laughs> like a really, uh, really awesome chicken. <laughs> it, it is the dinner. <laughs> that, ah, it is the dinner. Oh, that's that awesome. Back. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then we saw, um, yeah, so, and then kids love dinosaurs. My specialty, of course, was the Velociraptor. And uh, so we did shows in Dinoland USA, yep. uh, talking about dinosaurs, fun things about dinosaurs, fun facts. We even did a tour um, where you could, we had a, uh, a tent with a lot of dinosaurs in them. And a lot of those dinosaurs that were in that tent are now at the Orlando Science Center. Um, mm-hmm. They were donated by, I don't know if they were donated, but that's where they are now, is at the Orlando Science Center. Since there's no, uh, that tent has been long removed. 
Very cool. That is really cool. Uh, so now, um, what's the best way we phrase this? I mean, you, you work in Batu. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something we still say friends with a specific character, or are you, or are we open to is this part? I, this part I don't, I don't know how to approach it. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think you, I can say that I am a Kim. This is different because. Um, um, it's different because this is a character that is not really a specific person. So just to explain, um, right now my role is a an actor at, at Galaxy's Edge in Batu. A specific place is in Savi and Son's workshop where you can actually build a lightsaber. Um, and this is all in storyline. It's top secret. You know, uh, we pretend to be what they call scrappers. So Savi and Sons has scrappers working for them. A lot of ships come to Batu. They need parts. They drop parts. They need droids. They leave droids. So there's a lot of scrap metal to go around. So Savi and Sons has a bunch of what he calls scrappers that collect metal and uh, make different things out of it, starship wings and different things. But within that group, Savi and his sons are sympathetic to the resistance. Okay, so within the group of scrappers, there are are people that are gatherers. So every gatherer is a scrapper, but not every scrapper is a gatherer. Now, what do the gatherers do? Well, the gatherers look for certain types of things, things that could be force sensitive because they believe in creating lightsabers, helping force sensitive beings build lightsabers because there's been a rebirth an awakening, if you will. And so Savi being resistance, um, being um, sympathetic to the resistance, allows the gatherers to use his scrap field as a front. So we pretend to be scavengers. So we can go throughout the galaxy looking for pieces and different lightsabers. And we search for kyber crystals and different things like that. Um, And then within the gatherers, there's a rank called Kembe. And that will be the leader of the gatherers at a certain time. So that's the role I have. And a Kembe is a, is like I said, it's like a master. So I can be a Kembe. You might meet a woman that's a Kembe. So different people can be uh, the Kembe of the group. And that who, that's who leads the building of your lightsaber and gives you a little history lesson as you construct your lightsaber because you were force sensitive. And the, uh, the gatherers are not force sensitive. We do not use, we do not uh, harness the power of the force, but we believe in the teachings of the force as told by the Jedi and not the Sith. Excellent. I hope that, uh, if that explains it to you, listen. It, it, no, it does. Because, you know, as we identified earlier, you know, you, you were friends, still kind of are friends with Chewie. Um, I mean, once you're a friend, always friend, you're always a friend. Um, so you know, again, we said, you know, that's preserving the magic there with this. I wasn't sure because of one, the nature of galaxy's edge and the nature of the shows. I, I didn't know how the magic's kept and I don't want to, I don't want to mess anything up. Oh no, no. And, and, and Mike, you're 100% right. The way you asked me, is I, I, I appreciate it 100%. So you know, you did the right thing, and I can answer, and I can tell you that there is one Chewbacca, but there are many Kembe. Yep. 
And as my daughter says, there's one Mr. Negative. <laughs> Mr. Negative is, uh, she calls Boba Fett. Oh, Mr. Negative, Boba Fett. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. We, we met, uh, one of the last times we, we saw Boba Fett at Launchpad. Um, she tried to give him some credits and he wouldn't take it. And she's like, they're free credits. And he just, he, she goes, fine, be Mr. Negative. Oh, hilarious. And he gave her a hard time. Uh, you know, Boba Fett's like, I'm not taking nothing for you. You probably want something. She <laughs> she like, even offered me up and said, yeah. <laughs> I am back. And I'm like, well, gee, thanks, kid. Oh, that's, so funny. that's my daughter. Mr. Uh, Negative. Mr. Negative. Um, so were you, did you get the role of Kimbe uh, from the very beginning? Or yes, is it something uh, that you came into later? No, I, I went right away and I auditioned for the role of Kembe. I, I wanted to be a part of this. I wanted to be a part of, like you mentioned, you know, opening a new theme park is a huge feather in your cap. But not only that, opening a new show, as you know, Mike. Yep, I mean, yep. and, and then you get opening a new land. I mean, you know, so uh, it goes, yeah. you know, it goes show, uh, land theme park right um so you know i got to open a new land and i was very excited so yes i did audition for that it was a lot of fun to audition and i got the part early on and i was part of the original cast of kembe um and it was a fantastic learning experience um i got to work with you know uh we got to work with lucasfilm and, and disney creative and imagineers and we had um different directors and everything and uh I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, in my years of performing after I left the entertainment department uh, of parades and characters and I started doing uh, theater in, in the streets of Disney's Hollywood Studios or just at Walt Disney World. We call it street theater because, you know, yeah. in the streets of the park. So you were, so you were part of street Street Streetmosphere. Uh, well, okay. So in a sense, let me clarify. So Streetmosphere is a term that they kind of use for actors that are at Walt Disney World performing in the street. But the term Streetmosphere, because I work at Disney's Hollywood Studios, is a right. specific term to the actors at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Right. But, but since they were the first, you know, that 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 phrase has then moved on gotcha. beyond them. Well, I, I got to clarify. I tested positive for COVID back in August the 19th. I, I'm free and clear now, but the oh, wow. brain, but the brain fog is still there. What I meant to say is you were a member of citizens of Hollywood mm -hmm. briefly. Yes. Uh, no, I was not. Oh, okay. Citizens of Hollywood, but uh, but I like that you asked that question because it does make sense. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Citizens of Hollywood for being the first streetmosphere at yes. Walt Disney. Yes, so in a sense, so I wanted to clarify that. Yes, uh, to answer your question, I was a part of streetmosphere at Walt Disney World, but not a part of Citizens of Hollywood okay. at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Okay, so what what would you do for uh, in various streetmosphere atmosphere type roles? Uh, my first one was um, part of the World Showcase Players, and they performed at Epcot. Yes, yes. Uh, if, if your listeners at Epcot, yeah, with Carl Anthony and you know all those yeah, fun yeah. folks, uh, Lisa Sleeper. Um, but um, so the World Showcase Players performed shows in France, Italy, and the United Kingdom when I was there. Um, they also had some performers in um, Future World, and before I got there. There was a lot of, um, they had a lot of other shows. Um, they yeah. were, I forget the names of them, but they had more performers in like Future World doing shows in Future World. And um, um, I, I'm trying to remember the name. I didn't do the show, but they were called um, 
and a comical. Yes. I, and comical players, yes. which we go back to you and I did the Velcro show, which came late, late, yeah. late on, but slapstick. it was that style. Yeah, yeah. slapstick. Uh, and comical was in the Wonders of Life building. Okay. Yep. I, and I, I did a brief stint on Anacomical as a tech. Well, there that, you go. That was, that was the show. And matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, very, probably the most famous person to come out of Anacomical is D. Bradley Baker. Ah, see, that's before my time, but it would make sense because a lot of people I work with, when I would do Star Wars stuff, they would always ask me about D because they all okay. knew him because he did Anacomical, but I never put two and two together. John Nolan, which I, I believe you know John. I don't know if I know John he, Nolan. Heavy set, heavy set tech? Yes, okay. Um, he worked with D for a bit at Anacomical. So he, he he goes he goes way back. Okay. Uh, when it, when I've tried to get D on the show here, I've dropped. I I've worked with a couple people, a couple technicians that you worked with at Anacomical, thinking mm-hmm. maybe that'll help. Yeah. Open up a door, and not quite yet. But oh, yeah. he's well, a good br- luck. Good luck. he's a busy man. He's a busy man. He's voicing everything. You know, he's voicing everything. Even Perry. Perry um, um, so from there, uh, what type of atmosphere, street atmosphere did you do at studios? Um, when I got to studios, um, as an actor, I went to, um, the American Idol experience to go back to the show that I talked about Mark Winford directing. So when I came to the studios, I did the American Idol experience. Then I w- I played the assistant director at a show called, I played the director at a show called Lights, Motors, Action, Extreme Stunt Show at Disney's yeah. Hollywood Studios. And then I played the assistant director at the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. So those were my streetmosphere type roles at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And then eventually, which led me to um, being part of Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So where during this time did you start fine-tuning your craft as a comedian? Um, during my days at the American Idol Experience, um, doing warm-up, there was a lot of other warm-up um, actors there, and there were a lot of comedians, actually, uh, that worked that show. Like, one of the hosts was a comedian. Some of the warm-up hosts um, that I worked with were comedians, and some of the judges so um, we just kind of fell into doing open mic and um, just started coming up. And, and if you were good in Orlando at that time, you know, uh, yeah. you got to do more and more and more. And I got I got good at it by doing open mics and made it all the way up to starting to I started headlining for um, Bonkers uh, here in Orlando. Yeah, Bonkers is a great place. Now, of course, Bonkers, we got a, we've got what, improv down at, in Orlando. Yeah, in Orlando, I did the yeah. improv as well. I never headlined the improv, but I did headline for Bonkers, and then I did a lot of feature work for the Orlando Improv. If someone wants to get into comedy, would you recommend if a local comedy club, like I know Improv does it, mm-hmm. has classes, would you recommend that? Or do you just recommend the person just go out there to open mic, see what they've got, hope for the best? You know, I would, from my experience, they both can work. Okay, because number one, what you need is stage time. That's first and foremost, you need stage time. You need time in front of people that don't know you to do your comedy, to see if you're going to be good at it and see how you recover and see how you work your jokes out. So first and foremost, you need stage time. There are two ways you can get stage time. Going to open mics will get you stage time, but you might not get to go up on stage. 
because if no one knows you, um, it's going to be very tough to find a spot. So that's going to take a lot of work. So if you have a comedy club that uh, you know, or it's easy for you to get up on stage or open mics and like some towns have lots of open mics because um, stage time is important. But sometimes your best bet, if there is a class, is to take a class. You're going to be guided. Uh, you're going to get stage time as well. And uh, a lot of times uh, the person teaching the class has some clout in the stand-up world. So if they do send you to open mic, they can make some calls to make sure you're not the last to go up and you might not even get on because the show ran long. So, uh, so I would say definitely take a class. But if you can't afford a class or there's nowhere for you to be able to take a class that's available to you, then we do the other way where you try to go up to open mics and just uh, hustle from there because it's, it's a hustle game. It's not easy. And, uh, you got to put in the work however you can. So what, of, um, what kind of advice would you give anybody wanting to become a comedian? That is something you wish you had known. So, uh, to, to repeat your question, Derek, you're asking me, um, no, what I know now, what I wish I knew when I was coming up. Yeah. Mm. Even That's if great... it's something small and, and that most people don't think of. Yeah. It's, um, it's not babies on conveyor belts. <laughs> not babies on conveyor belts. Um, what, what can I tell somebody that wants to be a comedian coming up that I wish I had known when I was uh, coming up? Um, uh, that's a great question. I'm trying to think, what did I wish I knew before that I learned later on? Um, um, that, that it, I think, I think that it, it's really, um, it takes a lot of time. It does. It takes a lot of time. I think, uh, if I had to pick, it would say it takes a lot of time and a lot of legwork. You have to work at it. You need stage time. You really need stage time, and wherever you can find it, you try to do it because that's how you get better. You have to stand in front of people. Um, so I think that's what I would say. If you're coming up, know that it's very important that you get up in front of people because when I was younger, I would do open mics that weren't comedy mics. They were like music, and I didn't care. I would go up on stage and do some stand-up in between people <laughs> playing the violin and drums and guitars. Um, because I just needed that stage time. So definitely saying that you need to put a lot of time in to hone your craft. And it takes a long time. Um, Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld famously said it takes about eight years to find your, your real voice in stand up. And that is true. I, I did stand up for about three years before I said, I don't like what I'm saying. And I, changed everything uh, and continued oh, it and became more successful when I did. Mm. One go back, we'll say 11 years now, back to 2010, mm. you're appearing at Celebration, mm. warm-up host for the first time. Uh, Was it nerve-wracking? Walk us through that experience. Okay. Because I'm, I'm assuming this is probably one of the largest crowds you've ever been in front of. Um. Yes, yes. And a very focused crowd. Um, usually when I do things, I'm very comfortable in front of a Disney crowd because I've been there, like I said, 28 plus years. So uh, there's content I can do. I can take a microphone and go in front of any crowd at Disney and entertain them for, I would say, about seven minutes of just off the top of the head entertaining a crowd because I've had so much experience in the theme park and, and interacting with guests. Um, about 10 minutes, I need to figure some things out and have a plan. But seven minutes, I can go out there uh, and fly. So my first experience with Star Wars Celebration was not good. I will tell you that mm -hmm. right now. 
I had never met Elliot before. Um, I had never been on a stage like that in front of that many people, like you mentioned, but with a focused energy. I knew I liked Star Wars, but I am not, will never be, and don't claim to be an expert. Um, so I was intimidated. I was um, nervous. And uh, I walked out and DJ Elliot is hyping the crowd up. And now, mind you, I came from being a warm up at the American Idol experience, getting the crowd hyped up without a DJ. They just played the music. So now that's what I'm thinking I'm going to do. But Elliot, as a DJ, as any good DJ would do, is hyping the crowd up with his music. So I go out and now it's my turn. But I, I'm like, what do I do? Like, so people are dancing and they're having a good time. But I'm like, I don't know what else to do. Um, so I tried to talk about Star Wars and I tried to be a fake expert and it wasn't working. Um, <laughs> so I did a couple of them. And uh, the next day, so it, it, the day went, I was at the main stage. So let's say the main stage, if you've been to Star Wars Celebration, mm -hmm. the main stage, there are usually three stages. you got the yeah. celebration stage, you've got the digital stage. Yep. And then you might have a fan stage. It depends on what um, celebration you're at, where the names change. But let's just say there's three stages and the main stage is where I perform. So the main stage would probably have maybe a total of five shows a day uh, because it's the big main stage. So let's say I did about five shows and I went home and I was distraught. I think I cried a little bit. Now, the ma main stage that year, was that the one in the Chapin Theater? Yes, okay. it was the Chapin Theater. Um, um, the, one thing, the one thing that helped me is that I had giveaways. I had Star Wars memorabilia and merchandise. So that helped me going out and giving things away. Uh, to to, to uh, I won't say waste time because they gave me a lot of time to entertain uh, the guests before the panel started. So I went home and I was distraught. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to go back. I said, I don't understand. And uh, mm. that's when I decided, I don't know anything about, I don't know everything about Star Wars, but there is something that we have in common. And that's, we all love Star Wars. So what if I just talked about my connection to Star Wars, why I love Star Wars? That's not talking like an expert. That's talking like why I love Star Wars. So I really leaned into, remember I was friends with Chewbacca, so I really leaned into saying, I love Chewbacca. He is my favorite Star Wars character. Um, so the next day I, I made up a song about Chewbacca. I made up some different funny songs. Um, and uh, I started talking to the audience about their love for Chewbacca, why I love Chewbacca. But not just Chewbacca, but why do you love Star Wars? And that's when I started connecting on a different level and started enjoying what I did because I turned it from trying to be an expert and coming out and telling everybody everything I know to making it about, hey, everybody, here's why I like Star Wars. Why do you like Star Wars? And let's talk about it. And I think that changed. I remember that because I saw, uh, I was in there, um, I think the, the main panel I was in there for was the uh, the ILM folks and Ben Burt. So uh, Gary, uh, Kasdan, uh, um, ben Burt and uh, I don't remember. I think that's the first time I saw him. I was like, I know him. Mm. Uh, so and yeah, you, your Chewbacca song was great. Oh, thank you, thank you. So um, that stuff I wrote on the fly and came back in and um, really changed my focus and my um, uh, my attitude. And I really just started really having a good time and really connecting with the uh, the audience. Well, and fans. And, and that turns into a great segue into something I was going to ask a little later, but I'll just go ahead and bring it up now. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about your connection and your relationship with Star Wars, mm -hmm. how it came about. Uh, 
well, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, so Star Wars, uh, I grew up in the, uh, I was, you know, um, you know, uh, early 70s. So by the time I can remember things, it's probably like 78, you know, uh, Star Wars opened in 77. I'm sure it was a big deal in Trinidad, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to remember that. But um, <laughs> what I do remember is I had um, my mom uh, got from America a Play-Doh press mold. Yeah. And in the mold, yeah, mm-hmm. in the mold, and I didn't know what Star Wars was. I had no idea. But the press mold I had, it had, from what I remember, it had R2-D2, C-3PO, and Yoda. And I remember using my little orange Play-Doh and pressing all three of them and uh, playing with them, letting them dry and then playing with them. And I remember there was a guy with long ears and a robe. I played with his ears <laughs> and then this weird little man that couldn't stand up, which was C-3PO. And R2-D2 was this, I had no idea what R2-D2 was, you know, but he was something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, then I came here to America and then, you know, everybody's talking about Star Wars and I, I remember watching uh, Star Wars and then like really liking Chewbacca. And then and later on when I would, so I didn't, wasn't a big Star Wars fan until I became friends with Chewbacca. And when I noticed how people reacted to, to Chewbacca, I was like, oh, wait a minute, let me watch this movie again. And I watched the movie just focused on Chewbacca and in those scenes with him. And that's when I fell in love with Chewbacca because he was the ultimate wingman, loyal and you know Han's best friend that was not human and I, I really enjoyed that relationship and that's my that was my connection what was your biggest piece of advice you ever got from the man himself Peter Mayhew because I know you had run-ins with Peter yeah um, I, I've spoken to him and everything but I, I don't think we ever had the conversation where he could give me advice um you know, we would just talk about, you know, uh, really liking um, Star Wars. Um, I never I never talked to him about um, being friends with Chewbacca. I just didn't. I didn't meet him in those times. I did. I did have a picture of me trying to be as tall as him. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're standing next to each other and I'm trying to stretch my body to get as tall as him. Um, so the memories I have with talking to Peter Mayhew is just talking with Peter Mayhew about what's happening that day and just really enjoying his company and just telling him that, you know, Chewbacca means a lot to me and, uh, and really that's about it. And then later on, I got to meet Jonas Swatamu, who is Chewbacca now. Yeah. And, uh, and he's, he's, a he's, I, I would call him a friend. We've kept in touch and, um, right. We're you know, trying to get him on the show. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Well, the, the Wookiee on Wookiee radio. Exactly, exactly. Uh, if, uh, if I talk to him at any point in time in the next so many months, I'll drop a line and say, hey, if you get contacted by Wookiee Radio, they're good people. Well, I will I will have to say, you are, I'll, I'll save it for after show. Mm-hmm. If, if I say the way I want to say it, it's going to ruin the magic. I can't do that. Okay, okay. I can't do that. Uh, we <laughs> First Wookiee we ever had on the show was uh, Russ Sombridge, mm-hmm. who was also the, the on-screen body double for Snoke. Okay. And he was... Oh. Won the Wookiees in uh, Rogue One. Oh wow! Okay. Mm-hmm. So he he was the first Wookiee we've had on Wookiee Radio. Hey, is that the same guy? Like I remember, I, I'm thinking about it now. I remember at Star Wars Celebration, it was a panel. Jonas was on it, and I talked to a guy, and he was telling me that he was a Wookiee in Solo, and he was apologizing to to Jonas for bumping into him or something. There's something mm-hmm. I maybe, can't remember. Maybe uh, it was a British guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was he blo- I, I can't remember that. I can't. But yeah, there was a guy that was at celebration that was one of the Wookies in the audience. And that, he was that, saying, "Hey, Jonas, I, I, I bumped into you and something, something." And you're just like, "Hey, don't worry about it." 
It, that may have been Ross. Yeah. Or Russ. So Russ or Ross. Yeah. But without, without going over Facebook. But no, it's, uh, Wookie Radio came about. We were trying to come up with name ideas and, um, I don't even remember half the names we came up with. Mm-hmm. Wookie Radio slipped out and it's like, oh, uh, check it. It was available. It's like, no, really? Oh, wow. So we grabbed it. <laughs> took- yeah. I wanted to get, um, we, uh, we had, a, um, I was trying to find it. Um, at Disney, we had, we had a show that was going to have, uh, actors in it and we had a Wookiee podcast and I forget the name of it. I don't know if it was called, I think it was called Wookiee's World. Wookiee's World. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember hearing about so that, we, yeah. Yeah, we had a fictitious podcast called Wookiee's World. Um, so we made the language and everything. Oh, very good. Cool. But uh, it never got on. It's, it, uh, it, um, it's, it's, it stopped early. You can't have a fake podcast if you're not podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy because I think you want to, it's easy to tell. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think this yeah. is one of those podcasts or even a fake, like, you know, we could have shot like seven episodes and put it out and then been the live thing, but they wanted to do a live thing. And then they were like, well, people are going to say, where's the podcast? So. Yeah. With makes sense with your time now in Batu, uh, getting ready for it to open, uh, Galaxy's Edge to open, uh, the scripting, the everything because thankfully everything is canon. Yes. You're part of canon. It's exciting. Um, <laughs> we we've heard from authors and comic book creators who have been on on how much story group is involved how much was story group involved uh with you guys during rehearsals and setting up everything um storybook 100 involved uh by the time we got to rehearsal story group was hands off because um well, for the most part, because it was all created already, if you will. So by the time we get there, the creative concept is done, right? So anything, Storybook was involved. We had Corey, who was the creative director, and he worked for um, Imagineering. And if things came up, uh, Corey was our conduit that the next day he could find out from Lucasfilm is if we could do or say uh, what we what we suggested or what we had to do in real time, right? So you have the script done, proved everything. Now in real time, we're talking, this is happening. They maybe didn't think about what if this happens? So we're like, hey, can we say this if this happens? What if somebody says this to us? And um, and uh, so they were always involved, but not as much by the time we started our rehearsal process because it was pretty much cemented what we were going to be doing, especially it being in canon. Um, yeah, so, and then there's a lot of improv in there, so it's also our discretion. Uh, for instance, there are things that we don't know. For instance, I'll tell you, we don't know who Grogu is. Now, because his story is not, so when the Mandalorian was happening, we didn't know who Grogu was. Um, because that was unfolding in real time, it was episodic, but it did happen in the past. So we would know who Grogu is. But because we can't know everything and they can't tell us because they don't want to spoil it for everyone, we cannot reference Grogu. And now I think he's got a name and we, we know him, but we still don't know his story. So basically when the end, whenever um, the series of The Mandalorian is completed or it goes so far on, like let's say we know there's a season two. If it ends in season two, at that point, they'll make the decision that the gatherers and on by two, they know Grogu because they know his storyline. But if it continues going, there may be a point where we just know him, but we don't know what happened to him. We know him from episode one and not episode three, two, nine. You, you, you know the legend, but not the, but it's incomplete. Exactly. But right now we don't even know the legend. 
Okay. Um, yeah, we don't even know the legend. So uh, uh, well, because it's it's, uh, it's entirely possible that that you guys wouldn't like Grogu's legend wouldn't stretch as far out. You guys might not ever actually know about him. Yeah, that's a good thing, but I think we will because it's in the past and it's so big and, and Boba Fett is a part of it and, and Boba mm. Fett's gun is in... Uh, so basically the idea is all Star Wars, most Star Wars characters have gone through Batu since Batu has been in existence since before. So um, so as soon as Star Wars started, Batu existed. Um, so if you walk around Batu, you will see a lot of references to almost every film. Um, and, a ref- and a reference could be something that's in multiple films, right? Um, so, um, but every, especially any films, there's a reference to it. There's reference to, there's also reference to in-canon books as well, uh, uh, to to things that you can see on Batu. And Batu is actually mentioned in Solo, which is pretty cool. Yes. First time on film mentioned or on screen mentioned. Yep. First time on good, screen mentioned. Good old L3. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, also, Kira mentions uh, Dokandar. Uh, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. On his on the skiff because he is a collector and there's a lot of things to collect. I am I am anxiously waiting for Batu to be mentioned in the High Republic era. Mm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just, just so we could say, yes, Batu goes back that far. We're excited. We were told it does. We were told it does. Um, I wanted to say something else about the creative with Lucasfilm. Yeah. Uh, kind of like you mentioned, Derek, a lot of fans don't realize that sometimes, you know, they come and they talk to us, but, you know, we stay in character. So, you know, it's like they'll say, oh, you don't know who that is? So, for instance, uh, a lady asked me what color was Princess Leia's kyber crystal. And I said, oh, I don't know. I just know her as a general. Because, of course, that was revealed in um, Rise of the Skywalker that she trained as a Jedi. You know, right. in the films, it wasn't mentioned. And not only that, she has a lightsaber. So, uh, but but that's not common knowledge. That's something that we know because Ray knows. You know, that was top secret. So, the, as the character and in canon, there's things we don't know. You know, it's like, I don't know that Ben Solo is Kylo Ren. I don't know that. Mm. Well, you know? if I remember timeline right for Batu or the setting for Galaxy's Edge, unless Ray was told during Last Jedi that Leia trained as a Jedi, Ray wouldn't know then because the setting takes place between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Or, ha- or has that changed and now uh, timeline goes all the way through the events of Rise of Skywalker. No, timeline does not go all the way through because Kylo Ren is still alive as Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren is searching for Rey. Um, so, and um, Princess Leia, well, General Leia has sent Vi Moriarty to recruit more uh, resistance. Love Magpie. Love that character. <laughs> yeah, such a fun character and a good book as well. Yeah. Um, Black Spire Outpost. Um, so, um, and I, it's awesome that you, I haven't heard anybody say magpie. That's a deep cut, man. I like it. Um, we, uh, Melissa's uncle made a couple data cards that look like, uh, the ones from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And Zoe gave V a card, uh, first time we ever met her. This is when we were, guest interaction was a little closer than it is now. Yeah. And, uh, we, we, we started off as it, when you see her call out magpie, see what she does. Yeah. So Zoe goes, Magpie. And then uh, V stopped and around. How do you know that name? General Leia asked, asked us to give this to you. It's got the plans to Kylo's base here and his secret bathroom. <laughs> she chuckled. She chuckled. Um, 
But she took the car and it's like, you know, thanked us. And I know I could trust you because Leia gave you, gave you one of, one of my secret names. And only she would do that. Oh my God. It's like, yeah. What a great interaction. We, we, we did the research. And, and that's, that's what I love about Galaxy's Edge. Um, Ken and Derek have heard me say this many times. We, we have Harry Potter here in town with the other theme park. <laughs> It's, it's cool. My daughter and her best friend, they love it. They have fun yeah. with the interactive wands. But it's like you're running around a, a movie set type vibe and, and the immersion's just not the same. Whereas here, it, it's you don't cry when you see the Hogwarts Express. You cry when you see the Falcon. Um, you, you feel you are somewhere else when you're on Batu, and, and you do feel like you're teleported. You don't think you get that at Wizarding World. That's just me. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know how, how you feel when you're over there as opposed to Batu, how you're comparing it. I know it's a little different for you because you, you're working in Batu as well. Well, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, working in Batu doesn't take anything away. I think it adds a lot more because I can yeah. see a lot more detail that people just uh, pass over. And I am part of that detail as well. So, um, but I, I think they're both fantastic, right? I feel like, I, I feel like I'm transported at Wizarding World as well. I think, um, but I think to your point, uh, Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon, you know, yeah. and it has touched many different generations. Um, and it, it just has tenure. It's got a history and everybody connects to it personally. I'm sure people connect to Wizarding World just as personal. Um, and it's great. Um, but I think both worlds are a lot of fun. But uh, the Star Wars world is also fun to live in. Um, uh, so, um, and, and you know. I'm not taking it away from anyone who says, no, what you experience with Galaxy's Edge, I experience with Wizarding World. That's great because that's what it's meant to do. Yeah. For me, I just, I don't get it. I enjoy Wizarding World. I love the vibe and the feel. I just don't get the same immersion as I do with Galaxy's Edge. Mm. I walk in Galaxy's Edge. I know I could go get a tattooing tee, mm. Ronto wrap, go around the corner, sit in the outdoor patio of Docking Bay 7, and just feel relaxed. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping to do on days off every now and then and just sit and relax. So It's your uh, happy place. Mike. It, it is a happy place. <laughs> well, for a while, my happy place used to be go find a park bench at Animal Kingdom, just sit there and take a nap or whatever. That stopped when sec- one day security goes, sir, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just taking a nap. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. I'm like, oh, not doing that much more. <laughs> um, but no, it's uh, something about Batu. It, it's just amazing. You got to see it grow through Disney Parks Blog's YouTube channel. Um, what was it like seeing seeing it go from essentially flat ground to where where it is now? I'm blown away. It's the largest land expansion. I watched. Uh, you know, I did light smooth action, and that took up a lot of real estate and uh that's now a lot of part of that is galaxy's edge i watched them uh take apart lights motors action set and uh audience bleachers which i thought would never go anywhere i thought those bleachers that the audience sat in for lights motors action should be in the guinness world book of records as the largest aluminum bleachers ever built yeah um they were huge they were huge um but it was amazing to watch it. I remember my first experience. I watched them building it and everything. And, uh, you know, you don't get to see much, right? You just see things because um, it's all blocked off. But as they build past above the walls, 
I saw them brought, they put the ships in, but I couldn't see any of the ships because the ships were at a lower level. But there was one ship you could see, and that is Cookie's ship because it's on top mm-hmm. of Docking Bay 7. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I was so excited to see that ship. But there was one point where I was driving a pargo around the perimeter of backstage and I saw the painting on one of the buildings because they all have these round Star Wars, very themed domes. And when I saw the painting, I had already seen Rogue One and I said, that wall and roof looks like I'm looking at the movie Rogue One. It looks literally like what I saw in Rogue One, and I got really excited. And uh, what got me even more excited was the opening of Pandora. Watching the detail and attention to detail they put into Pandora made me very excited about what they were going to do with Star Wars, because I was like, you got a lot of help with Star Wars, because, you know, Pandora's good, and it's fun, but Star Wars is a... a, You got to work... You know, there's so much we know and love about Star Star Wars, you got to pick it. And when you do it, you better do it right. It's documented on an episode where I talk about Batu. Uh, we did a round table and these guys flipped table on me and mm-hmm. drilled me about my experience at cast previous. And I, and I come out and I admit I was a blabbering idiot. First time I saw the Falcon, when you saw the Falcon the first time complete, what, what was your reaction, emotions, experience? You know, I, I, I was hearing about it so much. They always said like, you know, where we, when they were building back to what they were going to choose. Do we choose Tatooine? Do we choose what planet do we choose? Do we choose Endor? And they were like, no, we're not choosing a planet. It's going to be a place that has always been with Star Wars because, you know, uh, if we choose Tatooine, how long does Luke stay on Tatooine? It's just sand. If we choose uh, Endor, how long do we stay on Endor? What happens on Endor? Like, who's coming to Endor? Why? So they just, you know, they decided to make somewhere where everyone can come and everyone has been. And then you can live your own Star Wars story. Um, but they said the home that you'll be connected to will be the Millennium Falcon. That's what people are going to connect to. Like you mentioned the Wizarding World, some people connect really with Hogwarts, you know. Um, so um, when I saw it, I knew what they were talking about. I said, there it is, the Millennium Falcon. It was just big and real you wanted to touch it you were just like there it is like this is star i am in star wars right now because not because of i turned this corner i saw this building no it's because there is the millennium falcon and that's where the adventure starts and so that's that's how i felt it was like let's go Derek, any final questions Mm, I don't think so. No. I'll wrap it up. How will you? Actually, two final questions. I'm going to wrap it up with. Uh, one. Where can people find you online? Oh, thank you very much. Um, you can find me online. Um, my Twitter is lol for Mark Daniel. Um, and if you are TikTok, I I start doing a lot of fun TikToks. Make sure you check them out. They're all immersed in Disney with my Disney secrets. I, I am again. love those. Oh, thank you. Thank I am, you so I am much. I'm on those. <laughs> it's LOL for Mark Daniel on TikTok as well. And my YouTube channel, LOL for Mark Daniel. And uh, all you Star Wars fans, go to my YouTube channel and you can scroll down, 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 down in my videos and you can see a lot of my Star Wars content. Uh, I also have a playlist of Star Wars where you can see some of the uh, stunts I pulled during Celebration and some of the videos I made for Celebration for Entertainment. So definitely check it out. Hmm. This is Wookiee Radio. So check out my best day ever with Chewbacca. You know, I had a, uh, I brought to life Very a cool. dream I had where Chewbacca was my best friend. So I made a series of videos that what if Chewbacca was my best friend? What would we do for a day? So make sure you check those out. Uh, me and my Wookiee. And then before we let you go, opportunity for you to opportunity for the tables to be turned and you ask us a question or two. Oh, all right. All right. Um, 
My first question will go to Derek. Uh, you asked me questions about stand-up, like what, any advice that you know now that you would give to an aspiring stand-up. So I will ask you, that was a very specific question. Are you an aspiring stand-up comedian or are you doing it? Um, I am not. Um, the thought has occurred to me occasionally. Um, I don't know. I always, always kind of felt like, like maybe trying it at an open mic or something, seeing how it goes. Well, I will say you've kind of put out there 200 plus open mics, sort of with your best friend, with your own <laughs> podcast that y'all do. Oh yeah. With Keepers of the Fringe. So yeah. So yeah. I like to think I can be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that was my question. So you have an interest in it. Okay, well, that's good. Um, um, you know, it takes. Um, it took me a while before I decided, yeah, I think I could be funny and get up in front of people. So if it is something you're considering, um, good luck. And definitely, uh, you definitely need that stage time. So get up in front of some people and uh, uh, give it a shot. And I'm going to tell you, um, if it doesn't go well, do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, my next question now, final question goes to Mike. Mike. Yes, sir. What is your favorite Star Wars film? Your favorite Star Wars character? So here it is. So favorite Star Wars film and favorite Star Wars character and favorite Star Wars quote. And I'm going to throw that back to Derek. That's kind of for, for okay. both of you guys. So favorite uh, Star Wars film, character, quote. Top film. It has never changed. It's Empire Strikes Back. All right. Okay. Yep. That's um, top. Me too. Favorite Star Wars character. I'm split. I'm split mm -hmm. between Chewie and RT. Okay. Okay. And favorite Star Wars quote because it has been used against me so many times. <laughs> um, and I do try and live by it. And it's, I actually even have it. My wife got this for me years ago and it's right there. So I see it every time oh. I podcast. That yeah. is do or do not. There is no try. Mm. And uh, lately, especially since coming back from furlough from when the parks closed, that has been one I keep keep close. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And then, like you said, it comes full circle, yeah. you know, and I, I was um, just like you, I was furloughed. So, you know, being able to come back from yeah. that, it's, it's, you get the survivor's guilt mm. and you try to do your best. And like you said, that's what we did when we came back from furlough. We just tried to work hard and show we can do this, bring everybody back, you know, and to your point of do or do not. I mean, you were probably in that zone. Let's do this. Let me do it. It's either we're, we are doing this or we're not doing this. There, there's no, oh, let's try and do this. No, it's got to be either we do or don't. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So. So you got Empire Strikes Back. Chewbacca or R2-D2 and do or do not. not there is no try. All right. And uh, Derek. Um, so my film is also Empire Strikes Back. That, that will always be my favorite. Uh, character, I don't know what this says about me, but I'm going to go with Darth Vader. All right, all right. Number <laughs> just, one villain of all time. Yeah. Yes, just because, just from the first time I ever saw him, I was just like, oh, he's so cool. Yeah. But also so scary. You knew he, <laughs> first time you see him, you knew he was, there was no question about it. There's no question about it. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yep. That's as guy. a toy, as a toy, you just look at it. That's a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> and our favorite Star Wars quote. Uh, favorite quote. Oh, that's a good question. I have, uh, there's always a few that I love, but, uh, you know, I always love to say <laughs> in my real life, sometimes I'll say I have a bad feeling about this or, uh, something like that. But I think that's a tough one. Um, I think my favorite would probably be, um, Wow, that's a hard question for some reason. 
There's a lot of them. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of good ones. All right, let's see. Uh, I'll go with um, I'll go with the. I guess I'll just go with the basic one. May the force be with you. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh wait, Mark, we got someone who wants to say something to you real quick. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. I speak Shrewook. It was a pleasure, Chewbacca. It was a pleasure. He just thanked me and all of you guys and uh, said it was, you know, yeah, he had fun listening. Apparently he was listening. <laughs> oh, we, we we say we are the Star Wars show for the Wookiee impaired. Oh, right. <laughs> That's all. Um, on that note, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Nick, I'm going to have to try to hunt you down sometime when I'm in the park because I've got to have something for you. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I'm going to keep it a surprise. Um, but until next time, again, you can find Mark as a Kimbe at Savi and Sons Workshop. Uh, look for him at New York Comic Con at Celebrations. Um, we will make sure I get the Twitter, the uh, TikTok, and YouTube in our show notes. Until next time. Give the evacuation code signal. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2.